grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. This morning, I want you to think about passion. The dictionary defines that word passion as an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. And that may look a little different for each of us, but you know, we're all passionate about something. So what do you have passion for? What is it that gets you really fired up and excited? We know passion when we see it. Uh, we can just turn on the TV right now, any given Saturday or Sunday. It's football season, right? And people are passionate about football. They spend a lot of money on it. They make time for it. They express a lot of emotion towards it. That's passion. And this morning, we're going to talk about passion for the gospel. And if there was one person who was passionate about the gospel, it was a man named Paul. We've already established that Paul wrote an entire book about the gospel. That is the book of Romans. He said from the beginning that he'd been set apart from the gospel. He had personally encountered the risen Jesus. He trusted in him and had been sent out on mission for him. Now he's writing to the church in Rome. A church filled with people from various backgrounds but who had all been saved by the same gospel. And this was a church like us who needed to learn to live out what they believed. So Paul wrote a letter, and he laid out his clear passion for the gospel. And nowhere do we see that more clearly than right here in these two verses we're going to look at today. These two verses are the thesis for the whole book. This is Paul's one big point, and he's going to use 416 more verses to, play, to lay it all out. So if we want to understand the heart of Romans... We've got to get these two verses down pat. So let's start by reading them together. Would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's holy word? Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. You can be seated. One very important thing we're going to need to do each week as we walk through Romans is remember where we've been. There's a lot going on in this book, and this is our third week. If you've been with us, we saw the first week, the introduction to the book. We said that Paul wrote a letter to a Roman church who was dealing with some challenges between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Then we saw last week that Paul started, as he often does, with his prayer. He prayed that he could visit the, the Roman church. He was thankful for them, and he, he prayed for this desire to reach the global church. And now Paul is getting into his purpose for the letter. He's beginning an argument. It's an argument for the gospel. And as I said, these two verses, these are the thesis, the, the theme, the, the big idea that he wants to make sure we really, really understand. And these verses, two verses, have four parts that we're going to look at, and they function kind of like stair steps. How do stair steps work? They build on one another, right? And that's how these verses work. At the end of each part, it's as if the reader is asking Paul, why? Why? You know, I get that question a lot in my house. I have a four-year-old, and so my wife and I are constantly being asked why. Anyone else in that stage of life right now? 
It's time for bed. Why? Make sure you drink your water, eat your vegetables. Why? Stop asking why. Why? And that's what we're going to do today with these verses. Paul is going to answer our why by building, by climbing up the steps, and he's going to demonstrate how and why we must have passion for the gospel. So let's start at the bottom of the stairs, and let's actually look back one verse at verse 15 we ended on last week. Paul wrote, he said, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul tells the Romans, he says, hey, I want to come to see you. I'm eager to be where you are so that I can preach the gospel. That's, that's kind of the bottom of this stairs, this set of stairs. And here it comes. Why? Why, Paul, are you so eager to preach this gospel message? Well, here's what he says. The first part of verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. There it is. You memorize that verse? You remember learning that as a kid? It's a really big verse. It's the title of our whole series. And notice that word for. It means Paul's explaining himself. It means because. Paul, why are you eager to preach the gospel? Because I'm not ashamed of it. He says, I'm proud of the gospel. I love the gospel. I'm passionate about this thing. Well, let's take a step back this morning. And let's ask the big question here. What is the gospel? What does that mean? There's this little book that I love to recommend and give out to people. It's a little book with a title called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. I love how short, how straightforward this book is. I first read it my senior year of high school, and, and man, it made things so clear and helpful for me because if you grew up in church like I did and you heard the word gospel a lot, here's what happens. You start to get used to it. You start to assume that, well, everybody knows what that is. We all know what the gospel means, right? That's not always the case. Different people have different opinions about it. And it's very important that we understand if this is the message of salvation, we need to know it. We need to be able to explain it. So let me encourage you, go and get this book, What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. But since I know most of you will not do that, (laughs) let's go ahead and answer that question right now. What is the gospel? Here's my short answer that you'll hear me say a lot. The gospel is the good news that Jesus saves. That word gospel, it it literally means good news. It's, It's a message. It's an announcement. It's a telling of a story about Jesus and what he's done. And I could give you a much longer version. Sometimes we do that. We could talk about how we could talk about why we need to be saved because we've sinned against the holy God. We could talk about what we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from God's judgment and eternity in hell. We could talk about how exactly Jesus did that saving. He died on the cross. He took our place, took our sin, rose from the dead. We could talk about what our response should be to the gospel. Well, we need to turn from our sin and believe in Jesus. All that's a part of the gospel, but at the very heart of it is this. It's a message. It's good news, the good news that Jesus saves It's not a message to inspire you to be a better person. It's not a message about discovering your true self. It's not a message about how great and awesome and special you are. It's a message about Jesus and what he's done for you. That's the gospel. Paul says that he's not ashamed of it. But why would he be? I mean, why would anybody be ashamed of good news? People love good news, right? If it came out today that they discovered the cure for cancer, man, wouldn't that be good news? 
It'd be everywhere. It'd be on every news channel, all over social media. People would be talking about it everywhere because that'd be amazing news. Why is it the good news about Jesus treated that way? We aren't ashamed of the gospel, right? Right? Well, here's the thing about the gospel. The Bible tells us that the gospel message is offensive. Even though it is good news, people don't always like to hear it. For example, it's very offensive that the gospel says, I'm a wicked sinner who deserves hell. My mama told me I'm special. My mama says I'm good. But the Bible tells us, the gospel tells us that I'm under the wrath of God because of my sin. It's very offensive that the gospel says I can do nothing to save myself. Man, I've done a lot of good things. I've helped a lot of people. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. Surely God loves me for me and wants me to be in heaven because I'm good. But the gospel says there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's very offensive that the gospel is a story about an innocent criminal being publicly executed. That doesn't make sense. That isn't even fair. All the blood and suffering. I mean, surely God wouldn't do that to his own son. But the gospel says that God was pleased to crush his son in our place. Whether we like it or not, the gospel is offensive to a lost world. The apostle Paul knew that. That's why everywhere he went, either the Jews or the Gentiles or sometimes both, tried to kill him just for sharing this message about Jesus. And so here's what happens. Sometimes Christians, as Christians, we want to clean it up. I mean, we want people to believe, right? We, we want people to be saved and to come to church. So let's just tell people that Jesus loves them and has a wonderful plan for their lives. Let's don't talk about all that sin and blood and hell. Our culture isn't going to like that. And, you know, we, we won't want people to stop going to church. We don't want the offerings to go down. So let's just sugarcoat it. Let's just tidy it up a little bit. And when we do that, we rob the gospel of its beauty. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you too embarrassed to talk about it to people, to post about it online, to share it with your neighbors or your coworkers? Man, we cannot be ashamed to tell people the whole gospel, even the rough parts, even the, the hard parts. But on the flip side, let's make sure the only offensive part of the gospel is the message. The offensiveness of the gospel does not give us reason to be offensive in our attitude. We're not to be aggressive or pushy or mean-spirited. We're not to be loud-mouthed or annoying or arrogant. We, we present the truth of the gospel, but we do so in a spirit of love. So Paul tells us he's unashamed of the gospel. Here's that question. What's the question? Why? Let's climb another step. Look at the rest of verse 16. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here's why we're unashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation. The gospel message carries within it a kind of supernatural power that when you hear it and you understand it and you believe it, it saves you. That's how powerful it is. Trusting in the good news of the gospel is the only way we can be saved. There's no good work we can do. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can never be good enough for heaven. Our only hope is to accept and believe the good news about Jesus. But here's the question. What does it mean to believe? Often we think of belief as mental agreement. 
Like, oh yeah, George Washington, he was the first president of the United States. I believe that. That's mental agreement. But when the Bible uses the word believe, it means something more than just mental knowledge. It's more than just knowing a set of facts to be true. To believe, according to the Bible, is to trust. It's to bank your life on something, to rest in it. I was taught as a kid that to trust is kind of like sitting in a chair. So I'm going to show you a little example here, a little prop. Aren't these nice chairs? That's nice. Let, let's imagine this morning that I asked you, I said, hey, hey, do you believe this chair will hold you up if you sit in it? You say, yeah. I mean, yes. Good, solid chair. I, I believe in it. So then I say to you, okay, well, why don't you... Take a seat. And you say, oh, well, <laughs> I, I don't know about all that. I mean, it looks good, but I don't know if I'm going to sit in it. Would we believe then that you really believed? <laughs> what would that tell us about you? What is belief? Is it sitting back and saying, yeah, I, I believe that chair can hold me up? Or is it when you take a seat, put your weight on it, put your trust in it? That's what the Bible means by belief. It's to surrender, to surrender everything, to surrender your whole life to this message about Jesus, to trust in him. That's how we respond to the gospel. It's to fully trust in what Christ has done. But Paul keeps going. Look at the end of verse 16. What does he mean when he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek? What's up with that? Well, this is a really important phrase. We're going to see a lot more of this as we go through Romans. But remember that Paul was writing to a church that had Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians together. So he's telling the Jewish Christians that, yes, the gospel came to you first. The gospel was originally given as these Old Testament promises to the nation of Israel. And Jesus came out of that nation. And, and the gospel was first preached to the Jewish people. So, yes, the Jew had a special place in God's plan of salvation. There was a unique privilege that came with that. But he says the gospel is also for the Greeks or the Gentiles. That's us. Though this plan started in Israel, God intended to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham. The gospel was and is for all nations. It's for everyone who believes. And again, we're going to talk more about that Jew first, Gentile language later. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Here we go again. What's the question? Why? Why? That leads to the first half of verse 17. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The gospel is the power of salvation because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. This phrase, the, the righteousness of God, is so important to our understanding of Romans. In fact, it's this one phrase that totally transformed famous Christian Martin Luther's life and sparked one of the biggest moments in the history of the church called the Reformation. You may know of Martin Luther and the Reformation because he was that guy who saw the corruption going on in the Catholic Church and nailed his 95 theses to the, to the door of uh, the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And what led to this moment was Luther's study of Romans 117. 
he was in this tower in the monastery where he lived. And while he was studying Romans, he came across this phrase he knew really well. It was the righteousness of God. Luther admitted in recalling that moment that he hated those words. He didn't like that because when Luther read the righteousness of God, he thought of it as simply one of God's attributes, like the love of God or the mercy of God. The righteousness of God speaks of God's rightness and perfection. And Luther knew that he was a sinner who didn't measure up to that standard of God's perfect righteousness. In fact, while Luther was a monk, he would spend hours and hours every day in the confessional trying to think of all the different ways he may have sinned to the point where the priest had to kick him out. (laughs) He was so anxious and concerned that God wouldn't forgive him if he didn't confess every single sin and deal with it. So for Luther, the idea that God was righteous and he was not, that was terrifying news. That meant that he was separated from God and deserved his anger, and that was Luther's life up until this point. He spent his days and nights terrified of God, fasting, praying, confessing sin, trying to do whatever he could to get rid of his sin and be made right with God, all until this one night in the tower. He read again that phrase that he dreaded, the the righteousness of God. But this time he saw something different. He saw it in a new light. He saw that God's righteousness was being revealed in the good news of the gospel. And like this stroke of lightning, everything clicked into place. Martin Luther described it as being born again. And here's what he found out about this verse. The righteousness of God in this verse is not about God's justice and anger towards sinners, but it's about God giving his righteousness, making him his sinners righteous through faith. The righteousness of God is revealed. It's given away to people who don't deserve it through their faith. Guys, this is so, so important to the gospel message. So I'm going to have to use some more props, okay? <laughs> also, I'm a, I'm a visual learner, so it's, it's, it helps me kind of figure it out. I don't know what the deal is with chairs today, but that's where we're going to go. So what we know, what Luther knew, is that God is perfectly righteous, right? We've established that. God's perfect and holy in every way. But here was the big problem that he knew and he found out. We're not. We're sinful, right? We're sinners. We haven't measured up to the standard. And there's this distance between us, and that's what freaked him out so much. He recognizes, and what can we do? How can I get to be with God when I'm a sinner and he's righteous? And he tried all these different things, but nothing was ever enough. But God had a plan. God had a plan to send his son Jesus to the earth to live a perfect life. And Jesus was also righteous. He obeyed every law. He never sinned. He was perfect in every way. And that's how he made a way for us to be with him. Because on the cross, Jesus took our sin and he put it on himself. And here's the part that Christians often miss. Not only did Jesus take our sin, but there was a swap that happened. We received the righteousness of Jesus. And through Jesus, remember he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Through him, through Jesus, we can be made right with God. We can have a relationship with him. We have his perfect record. God did all of this so that through Christ we could be with him. And we receive this gift of righteousness through faith. That's what the verse says. It's from faith for faith. 
It's not about being a good person. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. All we have to do is receive it. When we trust in Jesus, that is faith. And we're going to see so much more about faith in the weeks to come. But lastly, we have one more why. Why, Paul, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith? He tells us in the last part of verse 17. He says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4. You didn't know there was anything good in Habakkuk, did you? But there is. And Paul is showing us that this gospel truth has been a long time coming. It's not something new. But it's been God's plan all along before time began. So we got to go back to our chairs again. God's plan has always been to do this, to redeem his people, to bring them to himself so they can live forever. And here's how that happens. Our sin was not just taken away by Jesus on the cross. The Bible says he canceled it. It's gone. It's no more. He defeated sin. And what we're going to see in Romans 6 is that because Jesus rose from the dead, here's what happens. This is the coolest part. Is that we actually become united (laughs) to Christ. We're going to get to this, and it's going to be so good. That through our being joined together with him, now when God sees us, he doesn't just see us as sinners, but he sees us as his son with the righteousness of Christ. He sees us as his son and daughter, as a co-heir, an heir with Christ. And it's not because of who we are. It's not because of anything we've done. It's because of Jesus. That is how the righteous live by faith. We trust in Jesus. We become united to him. And then we are made right with God and we live forever with him. The righteous live by faith. Do you see how this connects? Do you see these stair steps? The reason Paul is passionate about the gospel, the reason he's devoted his life to it, because it's the power to save people. Because in the gospel, God makes sinners righteous through his son, and all we have to do is put our faith in him. Because through faith in him, we're made righteous and we live. This is the gospel. This is our passion. So let me ask you again what I asked you at the beginning of our message today. What is your passion? What are you passionate about? Yeah, I bet I could find out exactly what you are most passionate about if you would let me see three things. Your schedule, your bank account, and your phone. (laughs) I'm not going to go around checking. But if I could look at those three things, if you could look through those three things of mine, we would all see what we're most passionate about. And for many of us, it would probably also be clear that we're not nearly passionate enough about the gospel. I include myself in that. We know the gospel is important. We know we should devote our lives to it. We know this stuff. But how do we do it? Well, let me close by giving you three ways we can be more passionate about the gospel. Real quick, number one, live in the power of the gospel. The gospel, as we saw, is the power of God for salvation. But remember that salvation in the New Testament is not just something in the past. Salvation, yeah, God saved you in the past, but he continues to save you now, and one day he'll save you forever. Salvation is a present reality that we live in. Colossians 2.6 says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. You see that? Just as you received him past tense, now you walk in him present tense. Here's what this means. 
the power that you need to live the Christian life, to grow in your faith, to become stronger, to become more loving, to impact more people's lives. This power does not come from do-goodism or strong morals or filling your head with knowledge or anything within you. The power to live the Christian life comes from the gospel. That means if we're not daily reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us, if we're not regularly hearing that and believing that again, then we're missing out. We're wasting the power that's available to us. But when you experience this power of Christ in you every day, it's going to come out as passion. People are going to see that in you. You're going to live it out everywhere you go. That's the first way we can be passionate about the gospel. Here's the second. We must live in the peace of the gospel. If there's one thing our world needs, it's peace. People try to find peace in all kinds of places. We, we long to have certainty about the future, to know what life holds for us, to know that everything is going to turn out okay. But how can we have peace when we've sinned against God? How can we have peace when we're under his judgment? Well, that's where the gospel comes in. Because of what Jesus has done, we can know that we're forgiven. We can know that God's not going to condemn us or punish us. We've been given the righteousness of Christ, and there's nothing that can change that. There's nothing that can separate us from that. We're with him forever. I mean, that's where true peace comes from. When we try to find peace within ourselves or in our ability or our knowledge or our religious effort or our circumstances, it will always fail us. But in the gospel, we find a peace that transcends all understanding, that does not change because we know we're safe in him. God has us, and he will never let go, even in death. Even when your worst nightmare comes true, even when the world is falling apart, we can have true and lasting peace. This leads to passion, leads to a focus. People recognize that in us, that peace they want, to, uh, they want to experience the same thing. So that's second. And here's the third and last way we can be passionate about the gospel. Number three, live in the providence of the gospel. We saw at the end of verse 17 that the gospel was not some kind of backup plan when Adam and Eve messed up. It was not some kind of new invention created by the first century disciples. The gospel has been God's great plan for all time to save people. The gospel's always been and always will be the hope of the world. This means that God in his providence is bringing people to salvation through Jesus. The gospel's going out. People are believing. And here's the key. Here's the important part. God's providential method of getting the gospel to the lost is you. It's the church. It's the people of God taking the message of God to the nations of the world. In his providence, God has saved you. He's called you to take the gospel to someone else. And he's orchestrated your life in such a way that you have opportunities all around you every day if you just look. God has placed people in your life. He's placed you at your job. He's put you in your family. He's put you in your neighborhood. He put you in that random chance encounter out in town. Why? It's all providence to bring people to faith in Jesus. And when you know that, when you know your purpose, it makes that job you hate have a whole different view. It makes that family that you question, God, why me? Why is this going on? It gives you a whole different perspective. Because now you know you're called to have an impact on others. I'm telling you, there's nothing that will make you more passionate about the gospel than seeing it change someone's life. I remember when I was... 
in elementary school. I was a new, young believer. And I had a friend, a girl in my grade at school who lived two houses down from me. And every Sunday when I left to go to church, we'd get in our minivan, we'd load up, we'd drive by her house, and I would notice that her family stayed at home and didn't go to church. And I knew from what I was taught that I was supposed to invite them, to invite her to come to church, so I did. We picked her up, I brought her with me, and, and she heard the gospel, and she believed. And I'll never forget the morning that she was baptized. The, the pastor, he said, he said, Ashley is here this morning. Because her neighbor invited her to church. Man, when I heard the pastor say that, it's like a light bulb went off. I thought, me? Me? God used me to impact someone else's life for eternity? I realized the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that moment, it sparked this passion in my life for the gospel. I, I wanted to see more lives changed for Jesus. I knew there's nothing better, nothing more important than that. Friends, is the gospel the passion of your life? Have you experienced it for yourself? Do you understand what God in Christ has done for you? And are you seeking to live in the power and the peace and the providence of that message? This is your purpose. If you're wondering why God put you on this earth and put you where he put you and why he still has you here, this is why. Just like Paul, to live unashamed of the gospel, to show the world what Christ has done for you and what he can do for them. If there is one thing worth being passionate about, if there's one thing spending your life on, if there's one thing acting a little radical and crazy about, if there's one thing getting excited over, if there's one thing giving your life to, if there's one thing worth spending your money on, if there's one thing worth leaving your family and going into another country for, isn't it the gospel? What else could there be? Let's live out this passion together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.